Well, good morning. Have you ever had one of those moments in life where someone totally shatters and shakes and reworks your whole view of what reality is all about? Anybody? One of those kind of moments? When I was in high school, I was fairly sure that all of life was all about me. I was sure that life consisted of a long stream of other people there to make sure that everything worked out the way that I wanted. Life was about my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my grades, how I wanted everything to work out. I just really thought life was about me. And because of some of my insecurities, I worked really hard to make sure that other people around me also realized just how amazing that I was. Because I felt a lot of fear that other people might not quite understand just how awesome that I was. And it produced a lot of anxiety in me because I was trying to control the people around me. I was trying to use them to make me feel great or important or significant. And during this season, our church brought on a new youth pastor, and Joel was just amazing. He was like nothing that I'd ever seen before in anybody else. He just kind of walked into a room and he just gently walked out a really interesting dynamic. He seemed to have nothing to prove. He was strong and he was amazing. He could share himself pretty freely, but he used the energy and the significance and the space that he had to make other people feel seen and known. He didn't try and prove that he was great. And it just rocked my world. It gave me a whole new perspective on what greatness is and what greatness really could be. And again, as you know, we're in a series called Remarkable, walking through the Gospel of Mark together to understand Jesus more, to see him more so that we can make him known. And last week, Pastor Caleb gave us a powerful and a really beautiful sermon reminding us that we should trust Jesus deeply and with everything. And if we're wrestling to trust him, we just need to get to know his character more. And today we get to look at a passage where Jesus just really rocks and shakes his disciples' perspective of greatness and what life is really all about. And so we're going to uh, pick up the passage today exactly where we left off last week in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, where we read, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So let's just put this passage in some context, first of all. Can we recognize that Jesus is the greatest? You know, the disciples, just a few verses before, they saw Jesus transfigured up on the mountaintop. They saw the glory of God shining in him and through him to such an extent that even his clothes became dazzlingly white. The glory of God shining through him, they realize there's something significant and powerful and important about who he is, different than any other person on the face of the earth. And then he has come down the mountain. There's a boy who is full of an evil spirit who's trying to destroy him. Jesus just simply casts the spirit out and moves on, showing his strong and significant power over all of the forces of darkness. Jesus is just simply the greatest. There's no one that can compare with him in power or in wisdom or in strength or in authority. He just rules and reigns sovereignly over all things and over every part of existence. You know, for example, there's no one else who can simply speak. And galaxies with all of their planets and stars just form and flow into existence. There's nobody else who sustains all life by his essence and by his being whose own breath breathes into us to give us life day by day and moment by moment. And so if there's anybody who deserves to be worshipped and adored, anyone who deserves to be exalted and lifted up and praised as the absolute greatest, it is simply Jesus. And then Jesus is gathered together with his disciples in private, and he wants to teach them and explain to them more about what life is really all about. 
And he starts to talk to them about, once again about this truth, that he, the Son of Man, will be taken and handed over to people. He will be killed, and on the third day he'll rise again. That's a really interesting image, because Jesus is the one who holds all power, and he holds all authority, but he's willing to be given over into the power of ruthless people. Jesus is the author of life and sustains every single bit of life by his essence and his being, and yet he's willing to be killed. He is the one who rules and reigns sovereignly over all things, but he's willing to look like a failure to his disciples and to everyone else around him. It will look like he has failed in his mission to bring the kingdom of God forward. And he does every single part of this because he's fully committed to the will of the Father, to the glory of God and all that God wants to accomplish in and through him. And because Jesus knows that through his death, he will bring salvation to countless numbers of people to set us free from the works of the evil one and from sin and darkness and death and to breathe a whole new life into our existence. Jesus has a very different view of what life is all about. As the Apostle Paul describes it, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And again, this is an interesting space for us because Jesus is simply the greatest. He holds everything together. He has everything but he doesn't use it to his own advantage. Jesus is willing to humble himself and to be made low for the glory of the Father and for our benefit. This is what greatness is like. But our view of greatness is often significantly different than this, as we'll see in the next few verses of our passage. We read, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about? on the road, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now let's just get this straight for a minute. Jesus, who is the greatest and holds everything together, is saying, I will humble myself, I will give myself over to be degraded and murdered and killed for you. And what's the disciples' immediate response to this? They break into a huge discussion and an argument about which one of them is the greatest, who is more important than all of the others in the group of the 12. This is their immediate response. And it just seems kind of ridiculous and kind of silly. There's this funny sense about this. Why would they get into this argument? And the argument is so loud that Jesus overhears this. Because this is usually how we view greatness. We view greatness as the idea that we will use anyone and everything to make us seem more powerful and more influential and more significant. We believe that greatness is about being better, better than everyone else around us, more significant, more valuable, more important, more gifted, more talented, better looking, whatever that may possibly happen to be. We view greatness as a comparison with the people around us. And if I am better than you, that makes me great. And so you can see how this would produce an argument. Because the disciples are in the middle of this space and they're arguing back and forth. You can kind of imagine how this would go. Maybe Peter pipes up and says, obviously I am the greatest because I'm a natural leader. Jesus keeps turning to me. I've got the fun answers. I was the guy that got to walk on water. Maybe Peter is pulling those kinds of things out and maybe John responds by saying, well, 
Maybe you've done that, but I am the disciple that Jesus loves. So there, I am obviously the greatest. Maybe went down the line over and over and over again with each of the disciples trying to prove why they were the most important, why they were the greatest. And the argument gets heated and it gets difficult because none of them wants to be seen to be less. None of them wants to get pulled down. And the end of an argument like this is that each one of the disciples probably ended up feeling a little bit wounded and less certain of the fact that Jesus loved them than they were before the argument ever began, less sure of their significance in the sight of Jesus because they've been trying so hard to pull each other down and pull each other apart. And it is kind of silly, right? You know, can you imagine, for example, trying to use the fact that Jesus loves you to try and make yourself feel more powerful or more significant or influential than other people? But maybe that's the point. Maybe the problem is that we really can understand what it feels like to try and use the fact that Jesus loves us to make us feel more significant or more powerful or better than somebody around us. I know that I can. I can look back to moments in my relationship with God where I've had these beautiful life-giving spaces in the love and the presence of Jesus, and I've walked out and sometimes I've twisted and warped those things to make me feel more important or more valuable or more loved or more significant than somebody else in my life. How about you? Do you find your sense of value and worth and significance flows freely out of the presence of Jesus and his unending, unconditional love for you? Or do you play the comparison game? Do you look around you and try and evaluate whether you are more successful or more powerful or more gifted or more holy or more loved or more whatever it might happen to be to give you a sense of value and worth to try and make you feel great? Again, maybe, for example, you come out of a devotional time or a service like this, and maybe even subtly you find yourself thinking, I think I'm better because obviously I'm doing more in my relationship with Jesus than somebody else. Or when you see someone else really succeed and things go really, really well for them, is your heart filled with joy and delight for what Jesus is doing in their life, or do you find that you feel threatened by the success of others? When you look at the world and see the deep brokenness all around us, is your heart moved to compassion? Or do you find yourself thinking, I'm so glad that I'm better than that? Again, the ugly truth is that we can come into a space like this this morning, and our hearts could either be on the one hand full of a delight and a desire to worship Jesus and a longing to serve the people around us, or we can come into a space like this and our hearts can be full of a desire that people would notice us and see us and affirm us and that we would be seen to be more important or more valuable or more significant than somebody else. And even as we sing and as we worship, we're praising Jesus, but maybe somewhere in our hearts there's this voice that keeps saying, I think I'm doing this better than somebody else around me. Because there's woven into our souls this wickedness, this darkness, this deep kind of evil that tells us that we are valuable, we are great, and we are significant when we are better than somebody else. And when we believe these lies, it will lead us to one of two destructive ends. Either on the one side, we will compare ourselves to others, and we will think, I am actually better, I am actually greater, I am actually more significant. And this will lead us to the soul-sucking death of pride, where we become inflexible, 
and demand that things go our way, where we tune out the voice of Jesus because we don't want to have to come down from this pedestal of being better, and we hold to it so strongly because we're terrified that we might be average or less than somebody else. And on the other hand, if we compare ourselves to other people and find that we are actually lacking, that other people know more or can do more or look better than we are or are more gifted or more seemingly loved by Jesus, then we will find ourselves feeling small and insignificant. And we will tune out the voice of our loving Father who wants to affirm us and draw us close and near. And we end up stifled by these spaces of insecurity. You see, our perspective of greatness as being better leads only to darkness, it leads only to death, it leads only to unhealthy kinds of things. And now I'm amazed at the patience of God. I'm amazed that the really good nature of Jesus who is willing to come and to meet us even in these spaces of our brokenness and draw us further to life. And so we read, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus is explaining to us that in the kingdom of God, greatness is not about being better. In the kingdom of God, greatness is all about service. Greatness is all about a willingness to set ourselves aside and to choose to honor and to bless and to build up the people around us. Jesus turns the entire world on its head. Our world that says that you are great when you are better or stronger or thinner or more attractive or more rich or powerful, that is what makes you great. Jesus says that's not what makes you great at all. Real and profound greatness is found in the fact when we align ourselves with the will of God and realize that the greatest spot is already taken up. And then we choose to submit ourselves freely and fully to him and to serve those around us, anyone and everyone that he happens to draw near to us. True and profound greatness is an aspect of service. Again, Jesus taught us this already. Jesus showed us that real greatness is found not in using what we have to our own advantage, But true greatness is found when we take the things that we already have as the God-given gifts and talents and ability and space and relationships, and we use these to bless others, to affirm them and to encourage them, to serve them, to honor them, to build them up. This is where greatness is found. I think maybe what Jesus is drawing us back to is that the simple and elegant truths that life is all about loving God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, and it's all about loving our neighbor as ourselves not trying to use our neighbors so that we can somehow feel better or more powerful or more significant. And so Jesus is inviting us to a whole new perspective and a whole new world of what we imagine greatness is all about. But he knows how deeply ingrained these lies are in our soul and how hard it is for us to give up the comparison game and to choose to believe that true greatness is found in service. And so Jesus gets remarkably practical and shows his disciples a simple thing that they can do in order to start to change their heart and their view and their perspective. So we read that he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Again, Jesus gathers together these 12 men who are all sure and fighting and grasping and trying to pull each other apart to make themselves feel like the greatest and the most powerful and the most important. Jesus gathers them together and just brings a child into their midst, a little child, 
And again, their cultural view of children was somewhat different than ours. Again, they viewed children as somewhat insignificant. Children were often ignored. Children had no rights and no status in society. They were seen as the lowest and often the most unimportant person in any particular room or any conversation. And Jesus is showing the disciples who are grasping after power that the way to deal with this evil in their hearts is to simply recognize and welcome those who are ignored, those who are unseen, those who seem insignificant. As the author uh, David Garland wrote about this particular passage, he said, the greatest thing that they can do is to serve those who are forgotten and regarded as insignificant, those who have no influence, no title, no priority, no importance, except to God. This is an invitation from Jesus to rework our perspective of what will heal our soul. He invites us in a world where we value bigger and better and smarter and more powerful and more influential to say, who is ignored? Who's unseen? Who has nothing that we can welcome them in and honor them really well? I love how Jesus welcomes the child in this passage. You notice, Jesus doesn't just kind of welcome the child and say, okay, the child's here, it's going to be fine, let's just kind of move on. Jesus welcomes this child in and he wraps his arms around this child. He treats this child as a treasured possession, as a beautiful person who is significant and valued in the sight of God. Has anyone ever treated you that way? Has anyone ever looked at you and really seen you and honored you and blessed you and given you time and space and effort and just treasured the space with you? And if you've ever had that kind of experience, you know that it changes you. It fights against those beliefs in your soul that you need to be important or powerful or great or significant and affirms to you the deep value that you have as someone created in the image of God, loved by God so much that he would give his one and only son to redeem you and to save you and to wash you and draw you into his family. And so Jesus is saying, this is the way to combat our arrogant view of greatness, to find someone who may seem ignored and insignificant and welcome them as a treasured and an honored guest, to see in them someone that Jesus delights in, someone that he is full of passion and desire and longing for, to value them the way that Jesus values them. And I find it interesting the Apostle Paul gives the Roman church almost exactly the same advice. The Apostle Paul says to them in Romans chapter 12, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. And I think that's a great word for our age and our time. Do not think you are superior, but be willing to associate with anybody, to love them and to bless them and to welcome them in. You see, this is Jesus' view of greatness. This ability to serve when we gain nothing out of it, this ability to love when it doesn't increase our prestige or our status or our sense of significance, our ability to see in people that other people might ignore someone treasured in the sight of God and to welcome them in and to bless them. And so who is Jesus placed in your life? Who do you need to welcome in in this kind of a way? Again, maybe it's that kid at school that nobody else really likes or wants to spend time with. Maybe it's a coworker that you kind of just don't really enjoy spending time with. Maybe it's that person in your life that you always just feel slightly embarrassed to be around. Again, for some of us this morning, maybe it's your husband or your wife or your children or your parents. 
people who've been in your life for a long time, but you don't treat them as a treasured possession. You don't treat them as someone you delight in and you long to be close to. Who is Jesus inviting you to show his love and his blessing and his affirmation to because it's a really good and powerful gift that he's giving to us? To be able to give someone the gift of being seen and known and loved as Jesus sees and knows and loves them. Because in the kingdom of God, greatness is not about being better. In the kingdom of God, greatness is about lowering ourselves and blessing and loving and using all that we have to serve someone else. And this morning we want to experience this tangibly in communion. In communion we recognize the fact that Jesus has seen me and Jesus has seen you. And all of the messiness and all the uncertainty of our lives and all of our pride and our arrogance and all the ways we feel ashamed and insignificant, Jesus has seen us in all of this. And he still welcomes us to his table as treasured and valued and delighted in guests. He welcomes us to come to the arms of the Father, to be wrapped in the Father's love as sons and daughters of God. And we're invited to communion not because we have been amazing and not because we have rocked it at obedience over the course of the last week or the last month. We are invited to communion because of all the goodness of what Jesus has done for us and to receive this as a really good and a gracious gift of a loving Father. And when you go to somebody's house and you sit down and you go to have a meal, often one of the things that we'll do is we'll wash our hands before the meal because we want to be ready to receive well. And the scriptures invite us to do something similar. As we come to Jesus' table, we're encouraged to take a little bit of time to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts and to point out areas that might be out of sync, things that we need to sort of wash off our souls in to be ordered, in order to be able to receive really freely and really well. So today we want to just take a little bit of time and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us to what's out of alignment in our relationship with Jesus. Again, for many of us, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the fact that we have treated the people around us as something to be used to make us feel better and stronger and more significant. Maybe it's the arrogance and the pride of something like this. And we need to just turn away from these things and ask for Jesus' forgiveness. For others of us, we know that there's a whole lot of other things that we need to make right with Jesus and maybe with the people around us as well. There's maybe things that we need to shift or to change or to invite God to work us through in. And I have a really strong sense today that for a few people in particular, you've never been able to be honest with God about the areas of sin in your life because you're so afraid that he'll push you out if you really approach him with all the ugliness of what's going on inside. And again, today Jesus invites us in not because we are great, but because he is gracious. And he invites us to be open and honest. Your value and your worth doesn't come from how you're performing in your walk with Jesus. It's a gift given to you by an all-loving Father. And so maybe for the very first time today, I want to encourage you to just actually be honest with God, to allow him to see the full ugliness of what's going on inside, and don't try and run from it. Just agree with Jesus that it's wrong, and invite him to lead you on the journey of finding freedom from those things. And so whatever it may be that's in your soul today that is out of alignment with God, just spend some time with him talking about those things, and then we'll move on to preparing together for communion.